0: Will you join me in our preaching text for this morning from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Hear this word. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew, Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said, Stand up, take up your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, for this place, for these people, and for this purpose. May you guide whatever words, whatever things we need to hear, whatever actions we take this week, infuse it with your spirit and give us your energy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I also just want to say before I start that, um, you know, a lot of our prayers today are about healing. about hopes for healing, about sickness, about fear and concern and struggle, and whether what I offer speaks to your story with healing. <laughs> We're with you. We're in community. We grieve together. You're not alone. So there once was a story about an angel who showed up in Jerusalem to a pool called Beth Zatha, and stirred that small body of water in circles. By stirring the water, the angel enlivened this pool with a new capacity for healing, and as the legend went within the community, anyone who descended into its depths would immediately find healing. Sounds like a pretty good story, right? I think so. (laughs) If growing up your parent or a wise neighbor or a community teacher told you that a messenger from God who cared enough about finite creatures to come and create a place where wholeness and miracles and health would just magically occur, that would seem like a pretty good story. It's a story about all the things that good religious faith and our best imaginations should be about. In this case, it's the story that kind of laid the reality or the groundwork for this particular community in their time and place, because they all knew that if they could just get to that pool, they would be healed. If they could arrive right after someone may have walked ahead of them and stirred it around a little bit, whatever was ailing them, they would be healed from. But then we get to the Gospel of John. This no longer becomes just kind of a cultural narrative or myth It becomes a part of the Jesus story, and we run into a problem because not everyone has access to the healing power in the pool. For 38 years, we're told an ill man who is physically limited enough that he needs help just scooting himself close enough to the lip of the water in order to maybe slip in is denied his opportunity for health, for transformation, Again and again, he's denied because he's just slightly less able to insert himself in that space as the person that keeps stepping in front of him every time he gets close. Sometimes I read this story and I wonder, who are the people that keep stepping in front of this man? And it's possible that there are other sick folks that really needed healing just as much as he did, people that maybe couldn't walk for themselves or maybe didn't have anyone to help them or no one to stir the water before they got there, But we also know that when humans find a remedy in the world, like maybe a magical pool like this, a remedy that can solve the deepest problems or the deepest sicknesses or the hardest pain, sometimes it's actually the privileged and most advantaged folks that get access to it first. Maybe we think about something like a healthcare system that's so expensive that those that are deeply, deeply struggling can't even participate. Maybe we think about pharmaceutical drug prices that get higher and higher as the scarcity gets more and more intense. Maybe we think about a yoga studio that guarantees kind of spiritual enlightenment and emotional relaxation as long as you pay the thousands of dollars that it costs to participate, or all the organic and healthy foods that we can get at Whole Foods but cost about as much as my first car did. Right? I guess what I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise me if the individuals that get in front of this man and keep him from getting into the pool didn't do so because they were ill, but because they were seeking immortality in some way. Because they had enough money that they could pay for someone to follow them down every single day to that pool, stir it up right before they got in, and avoid any potential for difficulty and struggle that they may have walked into that day while a paralyzed man sat on the side of the road for 38 years and waited patiently for his turn. One could argue when you read this text that no one in this entire community needed the healing balm of that water more than that man. First off, because of his physical limitations and his suffering, but also because, as a lot of commentators will say, common views of the time viewed this paralyzed Man's sickness as a sign that God was judging him for his sin. Even if he was healed one day, he would always be viewed by everyone in that community as the healed paralytic that for 38 years sat on the side of the road because of something he did one time long ago. This is the thing. For me, as I was getting into this text over the past week, it became pretty clear that this story is not just about Jesus doing another miracle. And that's not to say the miraculous piece isn't important. But it's to get, say that we get a number of miracle stories in the Scriptures. And so in this case, when I read it, the miracle felt more like a detail than the main point. Even though we're tempted to interpret Scriptures in a way that focus on the stuff that breaks the laws of science or, or transforms the natural laws in our world, and so we think about something like being healed from cancer or from paralysis or from some kind of physical deficiency, what makes this healing story unique is that the writer is trying to show us why Jesus felt the need to heal this man. Unlike other stories in the Gospels, this is not about someone who could never find an opportunity for healing unless he touched the cloak of Jesus walking by. It's not the story of someone that had never heard of a remedy for what they were struggling with, but instead was just hoping God would magically appear and make them better. It's a story about someone who knew there was a clear avenue to healing, and that avenue existed in their neighborhood. And yet, despite that close proximity, he could not gain access to it. By healing this man, Jesus was not just proving that he was divine or that he could do things that other rabbis couldn't do. He was proving that the system and the narratives of hope and transformation and healing that that community had relied on for a long time Didn't actually offer healing for everyone. And in fact, often left out the healing of those that needed it the most. And I don't think it's that uncommon for people like ourselves to hear what seems like a good story, to focus on the positive part of the message, and to overlook the ways in which it might not have been a good story for everyone. In our context, maybe we tell stories about the history of the United States about the way our country was built on freedom and liberty and justice for all. We might talk about famous speeches from former presidents or military battles that not only showed off our might, but our virtue. And yet we forget about the fire hoses used by Bull Connor during the civil rights marches in the South. Or maybe we forget about the poverty that can exist 10 miles from extreme affluence. Maybe we overlook the pain in what otherwise seems like a good story. Maybe on a personal note, we tell the story of our own immediate family, and we say something like, I'm so grateful I didn't come from a broken home. But then we realize that we overlooked quite a bit of the brokenness. could be assumed that it wasn't a broken home only because it didn't feel broken to me, or because who I was was never at stake in my family in the same way it was for maybe a cousin or a parent or a sibling. I'm not saying that good stories are never truly good. But I kind of am saying that good stories are never good for everyone. And for those of us that identify as Christian and for those of us that use the language of the good news of the gospel, we need to be interrogating whether our interpretation of good news is only good for a very, very small group of people. Most especially, if we reflect on this story, the able-bodied, the respectable, the theologically faithful, the most pious, folks like me who fit all of those categories may be welcomed into a lot of churches, but we're not the kind of people Jesus spends most of his time healing. Many of us grew up in Christian churches from our childhood on, and obviously each church is different. Our experiences and our stories aren't necessarily going to mesh, but I'm going to guess that there was a common experience that many of us had, which is we grew up relating to the story of Jesus, reading those scriptures, hearing about it from authoritative sources in our lives, and then we had to have almost this age of accountability where we figured out, how is this Jesus figure going to be significant to me in my life? I know when I was a young person, and I would often hear preachers talk about this, they would say that a relationship with God is available to me through the personal connection with Jesus. That was appealing. I was told that the authenticity of my response or the validity of my personal transformation would be seen in the ways that I chose to follow his commands, to practice his way of life in my own context. But the problem was, when I read the stories of Jesus, I often found myself thinking I'm not totally sure how to apply all of these. (laughs) I wanted to. I was motivated. I was an anxiety-ridden kid that always thought I was kind of doing the church thing wrong, but then I would run into some of these stories and think, I don't know if that gives me the model for something that's uniquely Christian or even for something that I could ever possibly achieve. My family and friends showed their commitment to Christian faith by offering kindness to everyone that they passed but I kind of knew that Christianity didn't have a monopoly on kindness. My atheist friends, my Buddhist friends, the people I knew all throughout my community, my neighbor, Mr. Cardiff, they were all kind. So then I went and I just focused on the most specific Jesus passages I could find, and I found two distinctive groups of stories. One was focused on the way that Jesus was constantly in positions of suffering because of who he was— because of what he was standing up against, because of the religious and social and political context that he was in. The other group of stories were what a young version of me called the Magic Jesus stories. The Magic Jesus stories were the tales where Christ is healing people, pulling demons out of people, bringing dead folks back to life, stuff that was super-duper appealing to me that I wanted to learn and resonate with, and yet I still Found myself with that same problem, which was how am I going to emulate that? Even though my youth leader would say we're called to carry our cross just like Jesus did, I was very aware that I was not being chased by an oppressive Roman empire. No one really cared what I was doing on a daily basis. I was a pretty non-controversial kid, other than my like snarky editorials in the school newspaper. There wasn't much of an opportunity for me to just embrace persecution alongside Christ at that point in my life. So then I turned to more of these stories where we're starting to read about miracles. And even though I belonged to churches where a lot of my friends and my pastors and my colleagues would talk about their experience with seeing the miraculous happen in their lives, with physical and emotional and spiritual healing happening all around them, I always felt as a kid that that wasn't true to my experience. I wished it was. I craved it was. I prayed that it would be. And yet for as committed as I felt to the story of Christ and for as much as I resonated with the faith community I was in, I never saw a broken bone go back to normal. I never was able to snap my fingers, call down God from above, and see that kind of divine power fix what was ever happening in me or the neighbors that I prayed for every single day. The passage from John 14 that says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. Never really, really got me. I think like a lot of Christian people, sometimes we set these high expectations for how we're supposed to internalize the stories from the Gospels, and in my case it set up a standard that I often felt like I couldn't match. And though this didn't make me avoid the stories of divine healing, or the stories of bringing someone back from the dead, or the stories of following Christ all the way down the road to the cross, it did make me rethink how I am going to relate to those passages, What are we supposed to take away from a story like the one that we're reading today if I can't guarantee that I'm going to walk out this door past someone who's been suffering on the side of town and be able to heal them with a prayer? I think the story of Jesus and the man by the pool in John chapter 5 is one of those opportunities where we can reconsider what everyday faithfulness looks like for us. How we can be agents of healing even when we're waiting for that miracle to occur. We can practice this everyday faithfulness not only by performing miracles, but by telling the world and telling the church when our stories of hope and our stories of transformation are only healing some of us. We follow Jesus when we remind ourselves that miracles were necessitated often because our good stories and our best remedies And the goodness of the news sometimes only resonated with those that were already doing pretty well. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus asks this man a simple question. A question that none of the community would pause to ask, but only Jesus did. Do you want to be made well? Of course he did, but Jesus wanted him to answer it. But the thing that doesn't come up in that story, and that I'm going to guess maybe followed that encounter, is the questions that Jesus had for the crowd. The questions he had for those of us that were able to walk directly into that pool with any kind of obstruction, that never felt separated from opportunities for healing, that had all the access that we could ever need to wholeness and love and support and care. And that is, will you let this man be well? Will you facilitate his wean- wellness? Do you care? Please, dear God, <laughs> may we be a people who cares whether those on the periphery are well. Let us care whether their path to the pool of life is a straight one, or a long and windy and difficult road that may never arrive. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, for this place, for these people, and for this purpose. We pray that you give us the courage not just to notice any suffering in the world, Not just to think of the new kinds of difficult stories that are so fresh on our mind that we remember to pray for them in church. But we pray that you draw our mind towards the person that's been sitting right next to us for 38 years. The person whose suffering should have been obvious and yet wasn't because they've become like the furniture in a world where pain and brokenness is the norm. We don't have to live like this. We can create healing around us, and we don't have to wait for Christ to show up, point a finger, and do it without our help. Lord God, give us the energy that we need. Give us the wisdom that you call from us, and may you bring every bit of healing that you can to the people that we love, the folks that we've named during this worship service, and to those that have not been named. Let them be well.